welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are here this morning with us. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that you are here present with us right now at this moment. It doesn't matter where we are in our lives. It doesn't matter where we are in our walk with you. We just know that, God, there is no place where we find find ourselves in you've never been to before. And Jesus, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and that word was with God and and the, the word was God himself. Jesus, would you bring yourself this morning through through your word, Lord Jesus. We also know that God, the Bible says, your word cannot return to you void without accomplishing that which it has been sent forth to accomplish. Lord, would you accomplish your word through us this morning, Lord Jesus. David says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Lord Jesus, would you come and lighten our path of life this morning through your word. May we be moved, may we be inspired, may we be shaken by it. For the Apostle Paul says, Heavenly Father, it is your word is Heavenly Father. It is there to rebuke us, to teach us, to guide us. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord Jesus, would you come and cut everything in our lives through your word that you do not want us to take into places you've called us to go into. We pray all these things in the most wonderful Trust that beautiful name of Jesus. And the church of the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Isn't it amazing that we serve an almighty God, an all-knowing God, a powerful who has spoken everything into existence. He has spoken everything into existence. He is he is a beautiful, he is a mighty, mighty God. You know, one of the things that really never ceases to amaze me about God, one of the things that I never stop wondering about God is that, you know, God, he is so all-powerful. He's got so many descriptions in scripture. And, and, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, why is God so complicated and yet so simple all at the same time with equal measure? He is just as complicated as he is simple. And to my little, small, small, little mind, what makes him so complicated is the fact that he is so simple. He can explain the complexities of the gospel to the fishermen and to the farmers of the time in the way he could explain the, he could explain the truth of the kingdom of God in such simple forms that it baffled the Pharisees who it took a lifetime for them to understand. He, he, he is amazing. He's, when, when you get to his word, God is like, I always say to my friends that God is the only subject that no man can master. God is the only, is the only thing you could study. And the more you study, the more you realize how little you know. It's it's a weird it's a weird kind of paradox. He's a he's a it's kind of it's kind of weird. It just blows my mind. And I mean, some of the things you read about God in the Bible, and then you're thinking, is this really talking about the same person? Because of the Bible can describe God as a predator, and it can also pre, it can also describe him as a prey. One minute, look at John chapter one verse nineteen. John, when he sees Jesus for the first time, he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of man." When you read 
Revelations chapter 5, verses 5, he said, he said, he says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He is predator and he's also prey. The Bible describes him as God and it also describes him as human. He is both. He is the best of everything he has ever been. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I do not know what else will. That really blows my mind. The Bible says, the Bible says he was 100% man and he was also 100% God. He was so much of a God, he was so much of a man that, he was, he, that he, he was given birth by a woman. But yet he was so much of a God that, his, that you know, his, his birth was very biologically weird as we know it. He was so much of a man that he could feel hungry, but he was, so much of a, he was so much of a man that he could feel hungry and be tempted by the devil. But he was so much of a God that the devil knew that he could turn stone into bread. He was so much of a man that when he sees people hungry, he feels sorry for them. But he was so much of a God that he could, he could just turn five, fishes, five, five fish and a few loaves of bread to feed thousands and thousands of people. He, he was so much of a man that when his mate Lazarus died in the book of John, he, he weeps. The Bible says Jesus wept when he heard about Lazarus' death, but he was so much of a God that when he gets Lazarus, to Lazarus' grave, he goes, Lazarus, come forth. And then he calls him right straight from the dead. That deserves an amen. amen. There's got to be an amen there somewhere. Well, we are continuing our series. That was just my sort of introduction monologue, but there, there we are. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, we are continuing with our series, The, the Way You've Always... Uh, well, sorry, I, I, I don't know, I don't remember. The Life You've Always Wanted. And it's been, it's been an absolutely beautiful, it's been an absolutely beautiful series, and I've absolutely enjoyed it very, very, very much indeed. It's been, it's been really powerful, and then today we're just continuing with that, and we're going to be looking... Uh, we're going to be looking at the whole subject of prayer. The last time I was here, in fact, I spoke about prayer, and then I've been asked to come and speak about prayer again. I do not know why, but there we are, that I have to do it twice. Sorry, the Lord, the Lord must know. The Lord must have his, um, his ways. So without any waste of time, can we open our Bibles in the book of First Samuel chapter 1? Now, we're going to look at the whole subject of prayer through Hannah. We're going to look at Hannah. Hannah is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite Bible characters. I love I love this woman. She's an, absolute, she's an absolute inspiration, and then you will understand why. And then I would like to talk to you today, if I may, from the subject, moving lips, speaking heart. If you're writing that down, write it down somewhere. I know it sounds, it sounds um, odd, but moving lips and speaking heart. Right, let's open our Bibles in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1. I'm going to read from verse 1. And it reads as follows. There are some weird names in there, so pardon me if I don't pronounce them really well. It is, what it, is, it is the Old Testament after all. There we are. It says, there was a certain man from Ramatam, um, a zoophyte from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerob, son of Elu, son of Tehu, son of Zufa, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, Selah. Let's pause there for a minute. The Bible says he had two wives, well, that, 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 that's, 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 an interesting, that's an interesting one there, isn't it? It just sort of let that sink in a little bit. It goes, it goes, on, <laughs> it goes, on, it goes on to say, he had, he had two wives, and one was called Hannah, and the other was called Penina. He, Penina had children, and Hannah had none. 
Year after year, this man went from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty in, at Shiloh, at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were the priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Eli to sacrifice, he would give portions, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and all her sons and, and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give the double portion because of he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because of the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. When Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Now listen to this man. He's just so ignorant. He goes, don't I mean to you more than 10 sons? Hashtag wrong response. <clears throat> Don't I mean to you more than 10,000 sons? He says that's not a good response, not to a woman who's going through so much. In verse 9 it says, Once they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Hannah stood up and now Eli the priest was sitting on the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Please underline this next verse if you can. In, bitter, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And then she vowed saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be upon his head. Verse 12 is very crucial. As she kept on praying, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Ellie observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Ellie thought she was drunk. Hashtag number two, wrong response. Here he's coming. How long will you, uh, this is Ellie now talking to Hannah after, she, after he observed. He said, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Oh, that's a proper, proper wrong response right there, isn't it? He says, not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman with deeply, who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was, pouring, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Now, like I said, I want to talk from the subject, if I may, continuing on the whole theme of, of the book and then continuing on the whole subject of prayer. Like, I want to talk on this again. I'm going to repeat it. The moving lips, speaking heart. As she kept on praying, the Bible says, Ellie observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not was not heard. There are times and moments in our lives when we pray to God, that when we pray to God, have you ever gone to God's presence or you've ever been in a moment where you just had to be in God's presence and then you were, you were just praying and as you were praying, your lips were moving. Just, you had just lips, your lips were moving, but there was nothing coming out in terms of words because of in those moments, I have realized something that in those moments when you pray like that, your heart is saying a lot more to God than your words and your mouth could ever articulate. 
Sometimes, sometimes we speak, sometimes our words. Hannah was, such, was in such deep anguish in the presence of the Lord that her words became meaningless, that her words became redundant. I desire to be in God's presence. I desire to be in God's house. I desire to be in God's worshiping place and just let my words be redundant and let my, head, let my heart do all the talking. I want my lips to move, but I want my heart to speak to him. I want my mouth to move, but I want my heart to communicate to him. Because of the, you see, the Bible says, you remember when Samuel was calling, was calling David, was going to unwind David, and then Samuel was looking at David's brother. He said, surely this is the one that the Lord has appointed. And God said, look, I'm not looking at the physical appearance. I am looking at the heart. The heart is the bit I'm interested in. And Hannah was praying in her heart and not with just words. And then when we read the Bible in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, it says above all else, above all else, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts for out of it comes out the issues of life. It doesn't, it doesn't say in this particular chapter, guard your words. Your words as important as your words are there is a time and a place in God's presence where they become irrelevant and what matters is what is flowing out of the heart. Hannah was praying to God out of her heart. She was deeply anguished. She was being provoked. Her husband misunderstood her. The priest misunderstood her. Her rival kept provoking her. And it kept on and on and on and on and on and going. She was so deeply anguished. And she could understand that the only place she could go to be heard and be understood is in the presence of the Lord. When the lips can move and not say anything but the heart say everything. Her heart, oh, her heart was in a different place. Her heart was in a, in a more different place than her mouth was. Have you noticed that as we read the scripture, as we read, as we read the book, the Bible says that um, Penina kept on provoking her. She kept on provoking her. Please notice with me that Penina is provoking Hannah for something that she has most of and Hannah has none of. Doesn't make sense, does it? Have you ever been in the situation where people where people were jealous of you over things, over things you, didn't, you didn't understand. You couldn't understand why they looked down on you, why they were jealous of you, why they just couldn't stand you. And, but it seemed like they had a lot more than you did. It seems like they were more well off than you were, but they still could not stand your guard. So they, were, they, they had more better positions than you did at work, but they still could not stand your guard. Why is that? If you look at if you look at Penina, Penina, she was. It was not about it was not about where Hannah was, but it was about what Hannah could potentially become. Sometimes the enemy is not just after where you are, but he's gonna say all these things to you just to play psychological games so that he can prevent you from realizing what you are capable of doing in God's hands. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what? Can you, the devil is more terrified of you than you are of him because of your potential is too frightening to him. Some of you have to realize this. You are at your workplace. You do not understand that why some other people don't like the way you do things, the way you think, the way you move, the way you go about things. It's not about where you are. It's about what you could potentially become. They are more aware of your potential than you are. But I'm here to tell you. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit. I'm getting a little bit passionate there. <clears throat> they are more scared and petrified of you than, 
than, than, than you are of them because of what you can do in God's hands and what God can do through you with the little you have, they cannot achieve with the most that they've got. God can take your little and make the most out of it. God, can you imagine Jesus did something amazing in three years? He could teach the fishermen and he could teach the, he could teach the farmers things that it took Pharisees and the scribes and the academics of the time that it took them a lifetime. Jesus could do it in one sitting, in some cases in just two sittings. Because of the enemy is more aware of your potential. He's more aware of what you are capable of than we are sometimes. But I just love something. The Bible says this kept going year after year. This woman was anguished year after year. Now, when we read in the Bible that says the Lord has closed her womb, I want us to understand something very, very important there. The Bible doesn't say God was punishing her for some kind of sin that we do not know about. No, that's not the point. All he's saying there is that all he's saying that is that really God, he just, he, just, he, he just up to that point could not be able to give birth. This was not punishment related. This was none of that. This was just one of those things that God was doing. Now, the other thing as we read, I want you to notice the change in Hannah after she comes out of the, out of the house of God. When you read further, the Bible says when Hannah had that encounter where she was, where she was being accused by the priest of being, of being drunk and all the rest of it. As, as, as it goes on, the Bible says... Um, Hannah went back home, and then when she went back home, it says she could now eat. It says now she could now do, she could, she could now do things she couldn't do as a result of having spent time in God's presence. It is amazing. Do you, do you know Hannah? I think Hannah, Hannah was longing for something a lot more there. He, she was longing, she was not just longing for, for this, but she was longing to be heard. She was longing to be understood. She wanted to know that somebody was there for her. And, and it's amazing that when she comes out of the presence of the Lord, please notice with me that nothing had changed in that moment. She wasn't pregnant when she, came, when she got out of the house of the Lord and to have a baby. But the Bible says she went out different and she could carry on and do the things that, you know, she, she wasn't able to do before. There is something that happens when we go into the presence of the Lord. That it might not change the situation, it might not change the things, but it will definitely change how we are. One of my favorite English words, one of my favorite words in, in the English literature or in English is the word, I, I'm, I'm probably going to say this wrong because I'm not really English, it's, good, it's, it's, it's this, it's, it's the word paradigm shift. Am I saying it correctly? Paradigm shift. Now, according to, uh, uh, to the definition of this when I was looking it up, it says a paradigm shift, it is a, uh, it is a fundamental change of approach or view of the situation. In other words, a paradigm shift is when the situation that you are in does not change, but how you perceive it, how you view it, how you understand it, how you think about it changes completely. Sometimes God lets us to be in certain places, not because he wants us to punish us, but because of he wants to challenge our view of things and of himself. You get a different perspective of God when you are in the when when you are in the situation than when you are not. It's not God is punishing you. It's not that God doesn't like you. It's not that God hates you. But God is trying to give you a different understanding of Himself that you never had before. Because of you see, there is so much to God. There is so much of Him that it doesn't matter how deep you dig into Him, you can never reach the bottom. So the more you find yourself in situation, maybe the question should be: God, what are you trying? To show me what are you making? What, what, what are you challenging me to see? What is it that you want to see me? I, I feel as I was praying yesterday in the prayer room, um, as I was praying, and I felt that 
God was saying, there are people in the room that God just wants to give you a paradigm shift. That maybe your situation is not going to change. Maybe your situation is not going to change yet. But your view of the situation and your understanding of your situation and what you make of the situation is going to change. Maybe the way you perceive what you're going through right now is what God wants to change more over than the situation he wants to change. Isn't it amazing that the situation remains the same? But my view of it, my encouragement, my spirit, my approach, my, my passion about things have changed. And then it's amazing that a lot of the times before God changes the situation in anybody's life or in the Bible, have you noticed that before God does, he always changes somebody's perspective of the situation before he changes the situation itself? Maybe God wants to challenge our view of the situation. I just love the fact that Hannah comes out of there at peace, even though her prayer is not answered, even though her prayer is not answered. There's one thing that Hannah is very convinced of, that she's been had. That she's been had. Do, do you know, there's, there's something powerful about being had. It's like something that my wife always accuses me of. I was talking to you a few days ago, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, he said, you didn't hear, did you? I'm like, no, I didn't. Because <laughs> I wasn't listening. And then it frustrates the living daylights out of her because of... I wasn't, I wasn't listening. I was maybe watching something or playing the keyboard or something. And then she goes like, you, you really didn't hear me, did you? And then she said, the most difficult thing I find about you, the most difficult thing is, is says, you just don't hear me. You just don't blaming listen. And I'm <laughs> learning. And I'm learning. And this, well, basically this talk had a lot more. It changed me way longer than it did that it's, it, that, that it's going to change you. I can tell you that. I just love the fact that when Hannah gets out of the presence of the Lord, her demeanor has changed. Everything has changed. It didn't matter anymore what her rival was going to say to her. There's nothing that she could have said to her that would have taken her back to that place of misery, to that place of anguish, because of she has just spent the time in God's presence. I dare you to spend just a little bit of time in God's presence and see if you're going to come out the same. It is not possible to come out of God's presence the same. Do you know, she could sleep through the storm of the words being misunderstood, being all of this. She could sleep through it all. In fact, it reminded me of a, of a story. It reminded me of something that happened between, um, with me and Zoe. You know, a few, few months ago, there was, there was this massive thunderstorm, and it was belting away, and there was thunder everywhere. It was raining really hard, and... Um, and then Zoe came into our room in the middle of the night as we were sleeping with her. And then Zoe comes in and then she knocks on the door. And she goes like, she comes in, she goes, Dad. I said, yes, yeah, Zoe, what's the matter? She goes, I'm scared. Can I sleep with you in your bed? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's okay. And then I shoved over and then she came in. And then I held her like this. I held her like this as I sleep. I held her like this. She was petrified of the storm. She was really scared of the storm. The noise, the loud, the thunder, and, and all the sounds from the trees and she was petrified of it because she was alone in her room. But as soon as Zoe came into my room and I held her like this, I give you 15 minutes, she was like a starfish again. <laughs> she was kicking me, she was snoring, she was doing all of it. She was, she was in there. But, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. The storm did not go away. 
The storm was still raging outside. The noise was still howling outside. Everything else outside was still just exactly the same way it was. But there was a paradigm shift in Zoe. Zoe had a paradigm shift because of Zoe was not alone anymore. She was slipping in her hands in her grasp of her dad. It doesn't matter what the storm was doing anymore outside. It didn't matter because of Zoe was in her daddy's hands. It didn't matter what Penina was going to say next to Hannah. It didn't matter what the priest was going to say to Hannah. It didn't matter because of Hannah decided that now I am going to slip through the storm because of I know that I am slipping in the embrace. I am slipping in the arms of my dad. Let me tell you something. You can slip in peace in the storm. The storm doesn't have to go away, but there's one change you need to understand that it is not the same as sleeping alone. It is just different. You are sleeping with your daddy, just like Zoe was sleeping with me. She couldn't sleep for hours until she came to my room, and it only take 15 minutes for her to sleep because of Zoe was in the hands of her dad. Zoe slept better because her dad was present. It did, the storm didn't have to go away. I was not intimidated by storm. I'm an African. I've seen bigger storms than that. <laughs> I've slept through lightning, electric storms, and hurricanes. No, maybe not hurricanes, but I've slept through it. I've slept it through it all. I wasn't scared by it. But my daughter could sleep peacefully knowing that her dad was present. The second thing I want to address is the fact that Hannah... In the book that we've read, the author says this. In the book, um, The Life We've Always Wanted, he says this. He said, history does not belong to the powerful. History does not belong to the big corporations. It doesn't belong to the big media giants. It doesn't belong to the wealthy. He said, history belongs to the, to the intercessors, those who pray and believe and pray the future into being. The future, history belongs to those who intercede. When I look at the life of Hannah, it makes sense. Look at Hannah, the woman who spent the time in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says this. The Bible says this, that Hannah, she had a son. The Lord remembered her one day. God responded to her. And then the Bible says she had a son, and then he named him Samuel, saying, Samuel, the one I've asked of the Lord. Can I tell you something? Did you know that the history of Israel, as I see it, as I understand it when I read Scripture, it does not hinge upon David. It does not hinge upon all of these greats that we associate uh, Israel with. It does not hinge on any, on any of them. The, the whole history of Israel, as I understand it and sees it, it hinges upon the prayer of one single woman who dared to go into God's presence. She prayed and asked God for Samuel and she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And as a result, we know Israel has changed because of during the time of Israel, of Samuel, we are coming out of the period of the judges. The judges is the period of time where there were no, where there were no prophets. God's word was in short supply. There was not very much happening in terms of what God was saying. And then Eli's sons, they were just being ridiculous priests. They were taking money off people to, so that they can give them fake prophecies, so they can give them fake words, and so they can do all these fake things. And that is why, actually, that is why maybe Hannah didn't even go through the he didn't even go through her husband, which is very contrary to what we understand the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, nobody could go to the priest. Nobody could go to the house of prayer. 
without even going through the priest first. Hannah did not go through the priest. She did not go through her husband. She went by herself. She went like, this is very personal. I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do this by myself. But the reason why, the reason why I say history, the history of Israel hinges upon, upon her, it was because of during that time, if you look after, some, after, after that prayer, how God responds to Israel, it is completely different. Because of one, they start having Samuel when he was born. He was very fundamental in anointing the first two kings of Israel after that time, which was Saul and David. Samuel was very involved in when, when, they were, when they were going to fight and to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines, the Amaleks, and all the other ites that the Bible talks about. She was absolutely very fundamental. And it was because of Samuel. Without Samuel, there wouldn't be David as king. Without David as king, let me take it a little bit further. Without David the king, we won't have some of the Psalms. Some of your favorite Psalms, they wouldn't have been there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and etc., etc. They wouldn't have been there if it wasn't Samuel. And Samuel wouldn't have been there if Hannah did not go to God's presence and pray. So when the author says history does not belong to the powerful, the rich, and the famous, he says history belongs to the intercessors, those who dared to believe and pray the future into existence. This woman, she was not only just praying for someone she was not only just praying to have a son she was changing the whole course of history because of without her there is no Samuel without Samuel there's no soul without soul there's no retrieving of the of the ark of the covenant without the retrieving of the ark of the covenant and David being king remember that Jesus came through the lineage of David Jesus himself came through the lineage of David so without this woman's prayer and praying the future into existence, into being. That is why the Bible says in the book of Romans that, that when, when it described uh, um, Abraham's faith, he said, Abraham, Abraham believed God and through faith he called things that were not as though they were. He prayed the future into existence. This woman, Hannah, Hannah's one single prayer, it really literally changes the whole history of Israel as we know it. It really, really does. Is there still an amen in the church? Is there an amen in the church? Thank, thank you very much, my darling. I won't be a black preacher if I didn't do this, should I? Have you seen the one to read? Can I get an amen? Ah, oh, he's awesome. But yeah. And uh, Hannah's encounter with Jesus, which made words meaningless and redundant, her prayer that was from her heart literally changed the whole course of history. You know, when, when they say prayer changes the whole course of history, I think of George Weber, George Weber, the founder of OM. You know, that's where me and Anne met, and then we met on, a, on one of the boat on the Dulos when we were missionaries traveling around the world, Southeast Asia, and all of that. We met there, and then George Weber, who's founded this massive global movement of prayer, he, he, when he writes in his book, he says, one, he says the reason why he started the movement is because of when he was a young lad at school, 
loving to smoke a bit of wakibaki and doing whatever they did then. And he said there was this old woman just right next to the school that she always used to look at George Weber. And then she always used to pray for all the schools. But specifically, he would always pray for George Weber. And one time she told George Weber, said, I'm praying for you that God would use you and change the world through you. George Weber was young then, and then George Weber just was like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then he left. And, and right now, right, right now, as we speak, OM is pretty much in every single continent, in pretty much almost every single country in the world, secretly or otherwise, because of one woman on her knees. My goodness, I wish you can hear this. One woman changed the whole entire history on her knees. She's in the background, she's not known, she's not noticed, she's not receiving accolades, nobody's giving her the standing ovations, nobody can see what she's doing. But that's the thing I love about God. God does not have to do some grand thing to move the mountains and change the world. God can use you in the secret place, in the secret place he can transform and move the whole course of history. The whole course of history was changed by a single woman who's barely mentioned by most people, but this woman went on her knees and then she prayed and said, God give me a son and God was like, I'm going to give you, be one a son. Your dedication to me, I'm going to give you more than just a son. Her lips moved, but God was not interested in her words. He was interested in her heart. I pray that we would get to a point as a church where we are so deep in God's presence, when God is moving so strongly that words become meaningless, that words become irrelevant. The Bible says, for the Spirit of the Lord intercedes on our behalf with words that cannot be understood, with moanings, with groanings that cannot be understood. I can imagine, as I close it, I could imagine Hannah being in God's presence. He's saying, if you do not come through this time, if you do not do this for me this time, if you do not bless me, if you do not move this, God Almighty, I'm going to lose my mind. I need you. And then God comes down and meets with her, and then Hannah runs out of words because of she knows she's in the presence of the king. It doesn't matter how heavy the storm is outside. It doesn't matter how much noise it's making. It doesn't matter what they think or make of me, but I am in the presence of the king, and that is enough because I know I'm here. That's what I'm praying for as a church that we would get the prayer. History does not belong to the powerful. History does not belong to those who are, um, those who run major things. History belongs to the intercessors and those who can pray and believe the future into being. When I was praying there, when I was preparing my, my talk in the prayer room, uh, and I was, I was praying about this and I was battling it in my spirit, and I said to, and I said, Mike, crown a text. I said, Mike, do you know, I feel God wants me to say a word, but I've said this word before somewhere else, and I feel like it's not, um, I feel like I'm just pushing the envelope here. And I felt it strongly in my spirit, and I felt God saying, I want you to say the word. And I was like, I've already said, he said, this is a seasonal word. You have to say it again. You have to say it again. It's a seasonal word. You have to say it again. And this is the word. As I was reading this and thinking about the life of Hannah, thinking about what she's been through, I was thinking that there are some people in the room, you are going through a period that I can only describe as a period of transition. 
it's a period of transition. And a period of transition is a very difficult place. A place of transition is not an easy place to be in. Because of a place of transition, it means that you are not where you used to be, but you are not quite where you want to be, or you are meant to be, or where you're called to be. You are in this no man's land. You are stuck in no man's land. That could be professionally, that could be otherwise, but it's a very difficult place to be in. And you are praying and calling on the Lord, and you say, Lord, I know you've called me into things. I know you want me to get into things, but I'm in this place of transition. I do not know what to do. And then when you look back, you look back at what is familiar. You can see the easy things you used to do. You can see the easy job you used to be good at. You could see that the dreams were a lot more comfortable back there. There's all comfort you could see. And when you look forward, you do not see anything. You are in the place of transition. And I feel God wants to say to you, in the place of transition, it's where I'm going to meet you the most. It's where you're going to be, you're going to remember me the most. A place of transition is where you're going to remember the encounter the most. And I feel that God wants to say this to you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't go back to what is easy and what is familiar and what you are good at and what you know. You feel like you've moved on. Maybe you might have already given in your resignation at work and everything is just terrifying. Maybe you have stopped a business to start another one. Everything is terrifying. Maybe you have, lot, you have left the job. You were comfortable in. You were paid well in. You were moving well in. You were flourishing in. But you know that God has called you into something a lot greater than that. And then you are in this just period of transition where it is frightening because of you are not where you used to be. But you know you are not where you used to be. But you, can't, you just can't see what is in front of you. And I feel this is what God is supposed to say. God wants to say to you. I'm with you. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. Just like Hannah, when she came back home, God had her. God had her in her embrace. And I want to encourage you to say to you, don't be tempted to go back. Don't go back. Don't go back to the familiar. Don't go back to the place that used to be comfortable. Just go where God is leading you because of there is no place that God will take you to that he's not already been in before. He's leading you somewhere. It's different. Yes, it's scary. He knows it's scary, but he's leading you there. Just go back in his presence and have moving lips, but a speaking heart. Just tell him through your heart. Say, it's scary, it's frightening, but I need you. Now, I want to conclude with a story. It's a word. It's something that God was just really banging in my heart, and he was playing in my heart. There's a story that's it's just something that was powerful as well in my heart. It goes like this. It says there was a, an art museum in, uh, um, in America, and they just had this latest installation by some kind of very famous artist whose name I have forgotten. They have had this massive installation, and this massive installation, this massive piece of art, it was a chess. It was a chess painting with all the chess pieces on it. And it looked like it was a game. It was a game in progress. But the title of this, the title of this painting, it was Checkmate. I mean, I'm no chess player, but I know what checkmate means. It was checkmate, meaning the game is over. The opponent has been beaten. The opponent has lost. The opponent has quit. And I felt, as, 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 as I was thinking about this, like the people were coming to admire this great piece of art by this famous artist who was amazing. He was a great artist, but he was not a chess player. 
and he has painted this chest with all the chess pieces on it. And then as people were admiring all this piece of art and all these things, it so happened that one of the most famous um, chess players of the time happened to walk into the museum. And as everybody was admiring the painting and the, and, and the colors and the, and, 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 and the strokes and whatever else that people admire when they look at paintings, he was just, they were just all admiring it. And as they were, as they were, this guy, who's a master chess player, he comes in into the, and I feel this is, very, this is very poignant for some people in here. When he comes in, he looks at the piece of art, and then he goes like, he looks at it carefully, everybody's admiring, oh, how marvelous, how beautiful the painting is, and, all, and whatever people do in art galleries. And then as, as they were going through, the artist looks at, the, 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 grand, the grand chess player looks at this, he said, there's something wrong with that piece of art. There's something utterly wrong with that piece of art. And everybody was like, just like, oh, why is he telling her daughter that there's something wrong with this piece of art? He goes like, he looks, he's, looking, he's looking at the chest. Whilst everybody is looking at the painting, while everybody's looking at the, at the strokes and brushes and the colors and everything, he's looking at the detail of the game, the way he's been painted. He said, that cannot be right. They say, why? He said, he looked at it, he said, well, the king still has one more move. He looks at it. He said, it cannot be checkmate because the king still has one more move. How many of you have checkmated your dreams? How many of you have checkmated maybe some of your children? How many people do you know that have checkmated their own marriages? How many more people do you know that have literally checkmated their own lives? And Jesus, the grandmaster of chairs, he comes in and he goes, I still have one more move. And I'll tell you right now that Jesus doesn't need two. He doesn't need three. He doesn't need four or five moves. He just needs one. He just needs one. Hannah, it, it, could, it would have been easy for Hannah to just throw checkmate all over the thing. Maybe you've got a business idea you've drawn checkmate on. Maybe you've got, you've got songs and careers and things and Things that God has invested in you, and then you've checkmated them. I've got a message for you that God was bothering me with yesterday in the prayer room. He said, the king still has one more move. The king still has one more move. And it was a move, as we read in Hannah's story, it was a move that could change the whole course of history. Wayne, can I ask you to come, please, and just um, attempt to play the keyboard? It goes without saying I'm the best keyboard player. I don't know what, what it is I've said today. I don't know what it is that God has said to you today that has moved you, has caused you to think, and has caused you to think, I need to respond to that. It might be the word, it might be the story, it might be Hannah, it might be the way you perceive Hannah. It might be the way you perceive prayer that God still has one more move in your prayer life. That God still has one more move in your life in total. If you're here and then you've got children, you can go get your children. And God bless you, but we will pray. If those who need to go get their children, please feel free to do. But I feel this is important. We pray over this. 
please don't, don't be afraid. Just go if you need to go and get your children. Can we just close our eyes for those of us who are not going? Jesus, 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 Lord, here, here we are, Lord Jesus, you have spoken to us, you've been, as you have been through the series, you've been speaking to us, and Jesus, today you are telling us that, God, you love what our hearts have to say over what our words have to say. You're telling us that, God, history does not belong to the powerful, it does not belong to the rich and the famous. It doesn't belong to those, but history belongs to those who dare pray and believe the future into being. And we know that Jesus Christ, some of us are in the place of transition right now. As I pray, I pray for those people. If you are going through a moment of transition and you know that where it was for you, just by where you are, just raise your hand as I pray. I can see, I can see hands in here. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank God that God spoke. If you hear you're going through a moment of transition, just stand where you are, and I'm going to, as I pray, just receive that, 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 that just receive that. I feel there's something there, just receive that. Jesus, we pray, and if you are next to somebody, please pray for them, pray with them, just show them some love. Lord, I just want to pray for these folks who have stood up right now, Jesus, who are going through a moment, who are in a place of transition where things are not what they used to be and they are not what they could be. But Jesus, we are in a place where Heavenly Father, it's very difficult. It's very intimidating. It's very scary. There are storms raging around us and it's so easy to want to go back. It's so easy to want to go back to the familiar. But I pray for renewed strength. I pray for renewed bravery. I pray for renewed trust. I pray for renewed understanding. I pray that, God, there would be a paradigm shift going on in these people's lives right now. That, God, they would perceive things not as they want to, not as they would like to, but they would perceive things through the eyes of Jesus. That, God, they would know that, God, this change is not a coincidence. This move is not a mistake. This change that you are calling them into, it's not something they have orchestrated. It's something you, God, have always known and you're not surprised by. I pray for strength, Lord Jesus. I pray for peace, Lord Jesus. I pray for love, Lord Jesus. I pray that people would know that God, the King, still has one more move. And it is the move, Lord Jesus, that's going to change the course of history. In Jesus' great and mighty, powerful name, we pray. And I pray for those people who have declared their dreams checkmate. I pray for those situations that they've declared checkmate. I just pray life into them. I pray existence into them. I pray that God, Heavenly Father, there would be a move so divine, so powerful, that God thinks would never be the same or look the same again. Holy Spirit of the living God, just go through, just pass through, Lord Jesus, and just renew our hope again so that, God, when our, move, when our mouths move, the words we say won't matter, but our hearts would. In Jesus' name I pray, and the church of the living God says amen.